Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And before we go any further, I would just like to acknowledge a number of people. First of all, our Faithful listeners, especially people like Sonia and also Father Peter Goladza, who contributes to our program here, of course. But also, I'd like to welcome some stations and networks that have joined our family, the radio family, the EWTN family, in this recent year. I think it's worth acknowledging because it's very impressive as we are in this period of the Holy Spirit We can certainly see by these Catholic radio stations popping up that the Holy Spirit is indeed working. So let's shout out and welcome and say hello to Immaculate Heart Radio, KIHC, San Luis Obispo, California, and KNIH, Las Vegas, Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting, KKNG, slash OKCOK, Station of the Cross, WQEH, Oil City, Pennsylvania, Soulmates for Jesus Radio, WSMJ, Cape May, New Jersey. Guadalupe Radio Network, KSHJ, Houston, Galveston. And Catholic Radio Network, Kansas City, KQOH, Springfield, Missouri. And then there's also Immaculate Heart of Mary out of Harrisburg, Illinois. And another one out of Illinois, Covenant Network out of the Diocese of Belleville. Congratulations to all and welcome to all. Our thanks to God, especially to the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person, the Trinity whose great feast, great observance of Pentecost we are just coming out of now in the church, especially from the Gregorian calendar, both east and west. Speaking of the working of the Holy Spirit in this Pentecost season, or actually, in a sense, the end of the feast itself, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar today, we culminate this great observance of Pentecost with the Feast of All Saints. Now, the day before Pentecost, we celebrated All Souls. Now, those of you in the Western Lung of the Church, the Latin Rite, might recognize these feasts. You do them in October, end of October, beginning of November. Well, this is our answer to that in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We do all souls and all saints after, before and after Pentecost. So today is the Sunday of all saints. Every day in the calendar, the Byzantine calendar, there's at least one saint, many times several saints, that are commemorated. But on this particular Sunday, we commemorate all of them, kind of bring the whole family together, and we acknowledge all of the saints. Last week, we acknowledged those deceased members who have gone on to heaven, members of our families and relatives, which the church calls saints, kind of like, well, they use like a small S. We're not saying we canonize everybody that we know that died, 
But there's a certain presumption or a certain reasonable hope that they are with God in heaven, and we certainly pray for that always, at all times, and for all times in the church. And so we refer to them as saints in the Eastern churches, small s, but today it's the big S, the all saints, people who we know were saints. And many of them, of course, we know by name, but many, many of them we don't necessarily know, we're not as familiar with, but they certainly are on the calendar. And again, this is some of the prayers that we say during this liturgical celebration of all saints. The Lord has filled with his favor his saints who live on the earth. In their flesh, they have taken on the marks of his passion, which have become their adornment, shining brightly with the divine beauty. With our hymns, we also praise them as flowers that cannot wither, and as spiritual holocaust, and as the star-filled sky of the church. By the splendor of their virtues, the holy martyrs have transformed the earth into a new heaven. They have imitated the sufferings and death of Christ on the path that leads to eternal life. By grace, they have washed us of our deadly passions, and throughout all the world, their singular courage and battle merits our songs of praise. And my favorite line from that last prayer is this, by the splendor of their virtues, the holy martyrs have transformed the earth into a new heaven. They have imitated the sufferings and death of Christ on the path that leads to eternal life. See, that whole phrase, transform the earth into a new heaven, that is why people become saints. That is why we are on this earth as human beings, to transform what is on earth into a new heaven. See, heaven has already come down to earth by the fact of the incarnation. Of course, heaven is not completely here. Heaven is heaven. But the earth has been touched by heaven. The earth has indeed been imbued with the presence of heaven, with the incarnation. And what we do as human beings, our whole task, our whole purpose, is to continue that process of divinization, of sanctification of the earth. God has already sanctified it, but we continue to sanctify it. It continues to kind of, in a sense, grow in its sanctification. This is a very Eastern approach to things where the presence of God, the God's energies, or if, as it were, his grace, is already present. It's just that we enliven it, we enlarge it, we cooperate with it, we immerse ourselves in it, we participate in it by our choices for holiness, our choices, as we heard in the prayer, to imitate the sufferings of Christ, to die to self, to rise to Christ, to rise what is holy, to rise to the purpose while we're on this earth, the purpose of God's creation. And that is to be in its own way a presence, an experience of God, of heaven. And we're supposed to see that and celebrate that and participate in that, enter into that pray about that, offer that back up to God, live according to that. So our lives very much are to co-create with God, and that creation is an ongoing process. It's one of the things that we teach our children, our catechism classes, that in the Byzantine spirituality, everything is ongoing. God is still creating. He's still in the process. Everything is still in process of becoming what God has intended for it to become, including you and me. We call this divinization and theosis, our sanctification, and we are called to participate in the sanctification of the earth, to unite heaven and earth through ourselves, through our union with God, through our personal holiness, our journey of holiness. And those who have done that in their own way, we now call saints with a capital S. So our prayers are with and to 
the saints, our ambassadors, in a sense, our lawyers before God's throne, before his judgment seat. They intercede for us. They connect heaven and earth. Even now, even now while they are in heaven, they connect the two realities. And while we're on this earth, that is the purpose of our lives as well. And speaking of those who suffered and imitate the sufferings of Christ, once again, we want to remember in our prayers all those, especially Eastern Christians and especially in the Middle East, who are suffering greatly for the faith. As I always mention here in light of the East, the Eastern Catholic churches find themselves at the epicenter of some of the most significant global events of our time. And we especially remember in our prayers a couple of Eastern Orthodox bishops who were recently kidnapped. They were driving in a car. They were on a mission of mercy. They were actually doing charity in a village in Syria. And they were driven in a car, and the car was driven by a priest. The priest was killed, and these two bishops were kidnapped. I have not heard since what's become of them, so we continue to pray for them. And these bishops' names are Johanna Ibrahim and Paul Yazigi the Syriac Orthodox and Greek Orthodox Archbishops of Aleppo, respectively. So our prayers are with these archbishops, as well as with all suffering Christians, especially in the Middle East, especially in countries like Syria and Iraq. Our prayers are with them. Those who have died, we pray for their souls. And those who are living, we pray that God's mercy, His Spirit will certainly be with them, as they certainly are on a journey to imitate the sufferings of Christ. There are a number of ways in which we imitate the sufferings of Christ, only by physical martyrdom, but also by white martyrdom. And I want to direct your attention now, then, to a group of white martyrs. That's another name for monastics. Proud to say, from my own eparch of Parma. They are the nuns, the sisters of Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, out in beautiful Burton, Ohio, the Amish country. To get in touch with them, go to ChristTheBridegroom.org. That's ChristTheBridegroom.org. I highly recommend that you do. Go and visit them. They have lots of things to offer. They have a calendar of events. Go to their website, ChristTheBridegroom.org. Need to remember, ChristTheBridegroom.org. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. When you reach God, there's always more. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. At a retreat for priests, Andrei Sheptitsky once said, For all creatures, even the most exalted and perfect, God is always an abyss of unapproachable light. The more one knows God, the more one is conscious of that infinite abyss of unapproachable light. That infinite abyss that God continues to be even for those who see him face to face. And in fact, for them, this is especially true for they who are on the way to the kingdom understand better than all other people on earth the degree to which God's being infinitely transcends everything. Holy ignorance is the most complete knowledge of the divine. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute dot C-A. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Tom Sloya, your host. And we're talking about saints today on this Sunday of all saints in the Byzantine liturgical calendar for those Byzantine churches that are on the Gregorian calendar, but yet the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It is the Sunday of all saints. And speaking of becoming saints, certainly this starts when we were little from the time of birth. And one of those milestones, actually several milestones when we're young, of course, is are the sacraments, such as baptism, confirmation or chrismation, and holy communion. In the Eastern traditions, among many Eastern churches, it is the tradition to give holy communion to anyone who has been baptized and confirmed, received chrismation, regardless of their age. That's the key, regardless of their age, which means that you will see in Byzantine churches that even infants, babies, receive holy communion. Now, this is not the practice in the Latin rite, but there's an interesting article which I found on PreachersInstitute.com, PreachersInstitute.com, and it's in a reference to some information by the renowned liturgist and retired professor from the Pontifical Oriental Institute, Archimandrite Robert Taft, who is a Jesuit, It's from his essay, Liturgy in the Life of the Church, and those of you who are Latin rite may find this article to be very interesting. I'm going to quote from some of it. Again, this source is preachersinstitute.com. Now, in the case of Christian initiation, modern historical research and historical reflection have shown that the universal primitive tradition of both East and West viewed the liturgical completion of Christian initiation as one integral rite, comprising three moments of baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist, and without all three, the process is incomplete. In Christian antiquity, to celebrate initiation without Eucharist would have made about as much sense as celebrating half a wedding today. For this reason, contemporary Western Catholic experts on the liturgy and theology of Christian initiation have insisted on the necessity of restoring the integrity of this process, which broke down in the Middle Ages. Now, this was the actual liturgical practice of Rome. And for example, in the 7th century, Ordo Romanus XI And in the 12th century, Roman Pontifical, these are sources, it says this, Concerning infants, care should be taken that they receive no food or be nursed except in case of urgent need, before receiving the sacrament of Christ's body. And afterwards, during the whole of Easter week, let them come to Mass and receive communion every day. Again, this is one of the canons of the church dating back centuries. So in the East and West, giving Holy Communion to any baptized person, regardless of age, was the custom in both lungs of the church, as John Paul II referred to it, the lungs East and West of the church. So why did things change in the West? 
Well, the practice began to be called into question in the 12th century in the Western Church, not because of any argument about the need to have attained the age of reason. Rather, the fear of profanation of the host, if the child could not swallow it, led to giving the precious blood only. And then the forbidding of the chalice to the laity in the West led automatically to the disappearance of infant communion also. This was not the result of any pastoral or theological reasoning. When the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 ordered yearly confession and communion for those who have reached the age of reason, it was not affirming this age as a requirement for the reception of Eucharist. Even the 1910 decree, Quam Singulari, issued under Pius X, mentions the age of reason not as required before communion, but as the age when the obligation of satisfying the precept begins. Nevertheless, the notion eventually took hold that communion could not be received until the age of reason, even though infant communion in the Latin rite continued in some parts of the West until the 16th century. Though the fathers of Trent denied the necessity of infant communion, they refused to agree with those who said it was useless and inefficacious, realizing undoubtedly that the same exact arguments used against infant communion could also be used against infant baptism, because for over 10 centuries in the West, the same theology was used to justify both. Another example of this would be, sometimes people will say, We'll ask in the Eastern churches, will ask us, well, why do you give Holy Communion to infants? They don't understand what's going on. Well, like this article says, you can use the same reasoning for baptism. Does a baby understand really what's going on during baptism? Now, to help with that, of course, the baptismal vows are taken not by the infant, because it can, it's an infant, but they're taken vicariously through the godparents. That's part of the purpose of the godparents. They answer the priest, in other words, they take the vows on behalf of the infant. If the infant was old enough and could say the vows himself, you know, the promises for baptism, to, you know, to renounce Satan and to accept Christ, if the, if the candidate is old enough to do that, they would do it themselves. But when they're too young, like a baby, someone does it for them. But nonetheless, the baby itself, himself, herself, doesn't really know what's going on. In fact, I can tell you as a priest of over 31 years now, that many adults who participate in other sacraments, such as marriage oftentimes don't really understand what's going on. They don't really understand the sacramentality of it. So understanding is can be part of the sacrament, it's, you know, under the, the age of reason, but it's not always, always absolutely necessary. So I'll continue with the article. It says, so the plain facts of history show that for 1,200 years, the universal practice of the entire church of East and West was to communicate infants Hence, to advance doctrinal arguments against infant communion is to assert that the sacramental teaching and practice of the Roman Church was an error for 1,200 years. Infant communion was not only permitted in the Roman Church, at one time, the supreme magisterium thought that it was necessary for salvation. In the Latin Church, the practice was not suppressed by any doctrinal or pastoral decision, but simply died out. Only later, in the 13th century, was the age of reason theory advanced to support the innovation of baptizing infants without also giving them communion. So, the age of reason requirement for communion is a medieval Western pastoral innovation, not a doctrinal argument. And the true ancient tradition of the whole Catholic Church is to give communion to infants. Now, again, I'm going to change the wording there, communion to infants, or giving Holy Communion to babies, sometimes it's said. A better way to word that is, as, as I said earlier, the Church gives Holy Communion to all who have been baptized and chrismated in the faith 
In other words, who have entered into the faith through the sacraments of initiation, regardless of age. That's a better way to look at it. So it's it ends up giving Holy Communion to babies, yes, and as well as adults, but it, it should not really be worded that way. It's something like the issue of married priests. Oftentimes people will say to me, oh, well, you're a Byzantine Catholic priest, so your priest can get married. Well, not exactly. better way to word it is a married man in Eastern churches can become a priest. So priests don't marry. So it's important to kind of word that right. A married man can become a priest, but once you're a priest, even in the Eastern churches, you, you cannot be married after that. So it's similar with, with baptism. It's not that we give communion to babies. It's that babies or adults or anyone in between, in terms of age, receives communion if they have been initiated into the church through baptism and chrismation. Now, in presenting this historical background, I'm in no way suggesting that the current practice of the Latin rite, where they reserve communion only for children who have reached the age of reason, along with confession, no way am I suggesting that that is somehow wrong or a mistake or should be changed. Simply giving the background mostly for the benefit of understanding why the Eastern churches give Holy Communion even to infants. You'll find that when you really research things enough, it's interesting, it never ceases to amaze me, how similar the two lungs of the church were in many ways in the early centuries, especially the first millennium, about the first thousand years. Even though they were different, they developed in their own respective traditions, east and west, still there was a lot of overlap, a lot of similarities. In other words, Basically, different ways of doing the same thing, arriving at the same point. It's not that we are so drastically different. The differences became a little more distinct in this second millennium, you know, after the thousand years, after about the 13th, 12th century, around in there, especially after the schism in 1054. But earlier on, there was much more similarity, much more convergence of the traditions, even though they always developed along their own respective lines. So what we do is we move with the church, we pray with the church, we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit as church, and the church always tries to do, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, whatever is best for the church at a certain time for its own purposes. And this is the case with both lungs of the church, East and West. I want to thank you for listening as we present the riches of the church east and west, primarily the riches of the Eastern Catholic churches. And I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>